HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Burlap and Barrel, a public benefit corporation working directly with smallholder spice farmers around the world to source unique, beautiful spices for professional chefs and home cooks. Welcome to The Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food industry in crisis. I'm Kat Johnson, HRN's Communications Director. Today, we're asking, how can technology connect SNAP recipients to more food options? As millions of Americans file unemployment claims amid the COVID-19 pandemic, many states are working to make emergency SNAP benefits easily accessible for struggling families. Under the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, the USDA is allowing states to relax requirements and waiting periods so that families can continue participating in or apply for SNAP. But once someone receives these benefits, how can they use them to safely purchase food? Today, we look at two programs using technology to increase access and value when shoppers swipe their EBT cards. So before we dive in, some quick background. SNAP stands for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. It is designed to provide nutrition benefits to supplement families' food budgets so they can purchase healthy food and move towards self-sufficiency. You might know them as food stamps. EBT stands for Electronic Benefit Transfer. EBT cards essentially work like a debit card, which is convenient for SNAP recipients. But as with any technology, there can be some initial drawbacks. It's actually informative to know the history of the SNAP program. It was actually a paper benefit up until the early 90s, and then it transitioned over to an electronic benefit. This is Amy Crone, the founder and executive director of the Maryland Farmers Market Association. And actually, there was a really high redemption of SNAP at farmers markets when it was in the paper form. Unfortunately, with that switch to electronic, that acceptance of SNAP at farmers markets dropped off significantly. And unfortunately, um, USDA was able to provide brick-and-mortar SNAP retailers with free equipment. So if you were a big box store or you were a supermarket and you got approved to accept SNAP, you would receive a free wired plug-into-the-wall, plug-into-the-phone-line machine to be able to accept SNAP directly. But unfortunately, they didn't 
they weren't able to provide that same level of support to farmers and markets because at that point in time, they didn't have the technology available. Amy joined Lisa Hill, the host of The Farm Report on HRN, to talk about MarketLink, a program that helps farmers and markets with the funding and equipment needed to accept EBT payments. So that's the big thing that MarketLink is solving for is once USDA implemented a grant program way back in 2013 in order to provide grant funding for farmers and markets to get wireless technology, then we've been able to develop the only app through which you can accept SNAP and then provide farmers and markets with um, the means to get that app, make sure they have the right equipment for it to work since it has to be on a smart device, and then provide them with the card reader and make sure that they can accept SNAP directly now. And when you say provide them with a card reader, is that just for swiping SNAP benefits or is that also for accepting electronic payments of any kind? When we envisioned the program back in 2013, we wanted to make sure that we developed a solution that could work for farmers and markets throughout the course of time and not be solely dependent on um, USDA grants, which tend to change every year or so. And so we built out the model of the program to also accept credit and debit as well. And that's one of the super exciting things about this current iteration of the grant, which we were awarded in October of 2019, is that we've been able to establish a partnership with Square so that you can actually get lower rates as a MarketLink customer for your credit and debit as well. So we're providing an advantage to farmers and markets, not only to being able to accept SNAP, but also being able to access lower processing rates for credit and debit too. Wow. And I mean, it's certainly a time when it seems like there would be a high need for this, especially because, you know, even at markets that were accepting cash only, it seems that a lot of farmers and markets are now switching to electronic payments because of COVID-19 and, you know, people not wanting to handle cash. Is that something you've been seeing? Absolutely. Uh, Especially in early March, we saw a huge spike in applications as folks were trying to figure out how to pivot to less contact. And also as farmers markets weren't necessarily opening, farmers were trying to make sure that they were um, able to sell directly to their consumers. And then also, um, as I know, you've written articles about kind of the, the rush to online sales in all formats, right? So there were, um, I think, a number of technologies that weren't necessarily being taken full advantage of that then became super in demand. Um, but farmers and markets both, I think, are a very resilient and resourceful group of people. So, um, you know, they were able to pivot incredibly quickly to respond to the unfortunate outcomes of the pandemic, whether it be, you know, as I said before, some markets closed, others opened late. Um, you know, others are limiting the number of customers, things like that. So um, it is really amazing to see how farmers, even in the heart of the growing season, are making all of these things work. And we hope to be one of the solutions to help them get there. If you'd like to learn more about MarketLink, go to marketlink.org. They have a super handy guide for farmers and markets that walks them through the steps to get equipment and set up to accept electronic payments. So next up, we look at another issue with EBT cards that became a problem in the face of COVID-19 and the solution in response to it. Until recently, the only thing that stood between SNAP recipients and the ability to order groceries online was four numbers. Virtual retailers or services like Instacart weren't able to accept EBT card pin numbers through shopping portals. 
But now that's changing and faster than expected. To learn why, I turned to Leah Douglas, a writer at the Food and Environment Reporting Network. So before the pandemic started, there was a a small effort underway at USDA to um, bring SNAP processing capability online for select retailers. And this is something that um, food access and anti-hunger advocates had been working on for many, many years. How do we make uh, it possible for SNAP users to buy groceries online? As part of this pre-pandemic effort, a handful of retailers piloted an online purchasing program starting in 2017. A unique participant was Wright's Market in Opelika, Alabama. Its owner, Jimmy Wright, spoke to the U.S. Senate Committee on Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forestry about how online ordering and delivery benefited his customers. Again, we're very pleased and honored to be a part of the uh, pilot program. Uh, You know, when people typically think of a food desert, they think of an urban area, Philadelphia, Chicago, or somewhere like that. Alabama, much like Arkansas, the challenges we have are in our rural areas. And unfortunately, are in areas that don't have the population density to support a full-size brick-and-mortar supermarket. So we believe using e-commerce and online delivery, we can reach into these areas and bring a full variety of products, especially fresh produce and fresh meat, to these customers that will not be accessible to them as they are today. But Wright's Market is just one independent grocer in one small town. When the pandemic began, this was not very widely adopted at all. And it quickly became clear that the conditions of the pandemic in which so many people were required to stay home revealed sort of an inequity in in how food uh, could be accessed. In response, the USDA quickly added more states to the program. So now, as of mid-May, there are 15 states that are now in the pilot and another eight have been approved and are in the development and testing stage. While this will provide SNAP recipients with an option to shop online, it doesn't offer many options on where to shop. In most states, the only retailers included in the program are Amazon and Walmart. So this is a controversial aspect of this pilot program, for sure. Some advocates say that, that, that this program is, is another way to sort of shore up their power and make it more difficult for smaller retailers uh, to compete. And there's another barrier to access for SNAP recipients. Delivery fees are an important detail of this process because delivery fees are not included, uh, cannot be paid for with EBT benefits, and the USDA spells that out clearly on their website uh, for the pilot program. Advocates hope that the USDA will update policies to let SNAP benefits cover those delivery fees and expand the online purchasing pilot to include smaller retailers. Obviously, right now, the stakes are high. SNAP recipients have to leave the house and potentially expose themselves to the coronavirus at a different rate than people who are able to shop for groceries at home. To address concerns in the immediate future, some independent grocers are finding ways to offer a comparable service to online shopping. And in doing so, they're helping keep shoppers safe. There's a process called click and collect that is being rolled out in some places, some retailers where SNAP users can, you know, shop online, build a shopping cart, place the order, and then go to the retailer and do a low contact uh, payment process with their EBT card on site. So that's a way to sort of mitigate. You don't have to go through the grocery store, uh, sort of an in-between. 
To read more of Leah's coverage of SNAP and how policy will shape our food system in the weeks, months, and years to come, you can go to thefern.org. You can also catch her as a monthly guest on What Doesn't Kill You on HRN. One big piece of policy that is working its way through Congress right now that affects these issues is the next round of the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, also known as CARES. In upcoming episodes of The Big Food Question, we will focus on how it may extend unemployment benefits and increase access to emergency SNAP. To learn more about SNAP, go to benefits.gov. Thanks so much for listening to The Big Food Question. Stick around to hear what makes our show possible. I'm Ethan Frisch, co-host of Why Food and co-founder of Burlap and Barrel, a public benefit corporation working directly with smallholder spice farmers around the world to source unique, beautiful spices for professional chefs and home cooks. We set our partner farmers up to export their own crops for the first time, and they get access to a whole new market here in the U.S., and we get access to spices that other companies can't source. We're honored to work with restaurants including 11 Madison Park, Blue Hill, and Chez Panisse, as well as thousands of home cooks across the country. Visit us at burlapandbarrel.com. Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Check back often as we address critical questions for eaters, operators, and workers across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like the show to answer, you can email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks this episode to Lisa Held, Amy Crone, and Lisa Douglas. The Big Food Question is produced by Katie Mosman-Wadler, Hannah Forden, Dylan Hoyer, Matt Patterson, Luke Griffin, Jenny Dorsey, and me, Kat Johnson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast. The content of this series is provided for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this content. This project is funded in part by a Humanities New York CARES grant with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. The Big Food Question is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.